Today's scripture comes from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and then chapter 8, verse 1. It's pretty cool. I think it's awesome. (laughs) Uh, So here now the inspired words of God. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And now from chapter one, chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Have y'all ever had that, that sense? You, maybe you're at home or you're at work. Or for me, it's often when I'm on the way to the airport. And you have this fear in the back of your mind that you have forgotten something. Something very important that you need to remember right now. And so you go through the list. Okay, this, yeah, this, yeah, yeah. You cannot figure it out. And then something happens and, <gasps> yeah, you've got it. And now you you know what you're missing. You know what you've got to do. Well, this is very much the situation that the early church in Acts chapter 8 finds themselves in. They have grown from this little group of about a dozen followers to thousands. They have begun to share their faith, and people have responded, not just ordinary people, but we've heard that rabbis are now coming to the faith. There have been healings amazing healings. There have been showdowns with the authorities where the apostles have stood their ground and they've been victorious. There's, there's been evil rooted out. I mean, so, yay. And yet I wonder if at the back of their heads, especially the apostles' minds, was this idea, there's something we've forgotten. What did Jesus tell us to do? To be his witness? Yeah, we've done that. Um, Healing, yes. Teaching, yes. Standing up against evil, yeah. Hmm. Oh, well, it'll come to us, right? We're going to figure this out. Well, I wonder, did they really forget it or did they want to forget it? Because the thing that they had forgotten was what Pastor DG read to you. It was the last thing Jesus said to them. So you, you think that right, if somebody tells you something right before they are lifted into a cloud, you would hold that in your memory, right? That would stick with you. But what Jesus had said at that moment was so weird and hard and uncomfortable that maybe in the midst of the coming of the Holy Spirit and all of the power that they suddenly felt from God running through them, they just forgot that really uncomfortable part which was that they needed to leave. They needed to go. Now, this was hard. It's hard in any age, but it was really hard for the Jewish people, like the disciples and the apostles in the early church, because that had never been what God had asked them to do. In the Old Testament, there's a very clear picture that God's people are supposed to live with faith, live with courage, live with conviction, and then... Stay put, right? Stay in Israel and let this nation be like unlike any other nation on earth. And then if people are interested, they will come and ask questions. This is the way the faith is in the Old Testament. 
It's not a missionary faith. It's a faith where you stay put. And that's how it's always been. Ever, anybody ever heard about light on a hill, right? Shining out, and people go, oh, I'm going to go see that light. Now, who here, if we get to vote, who here votes for that? I mean, like, y'all, we're on a hill, right? We can let our light shine, and then it makes it so good because if people are interested, then they come to us, and they ask a question, and that way you know you're never stepping on toes, and you're never pushing your nose into somebody else's business, and it's, you never have to get anywhere outside your comfort zone. You just live and shine, and they come. But that's not what Jesus said, is it? Now, most of us, even today, uh, we're not wired for this going thing. Now, there's some really delightful exceptions to this. Uh, Pastor DG has never met a stranger, right? I mean, he is wired to be going outside. He comes alive when he's talking to people in a Starbucks. I think he's made friends at the entire coffee house where he is in the morning. They all know him and love him because he's wired for this. And many of y'all, man, you, you've gotten disaster training so that the day after a disaster, you can walk into some of the places that scare us most and bring help, real tangible help and healing to people there. Your emergency response tra- team certified. Some of you later this year are going to be going to a country where you don't speak the language and you don't know the customs and the cultures and the food is weird so that you can love on orphans who are there. Our teens, our teens go down to Blueprint Ministry and they sleep in bunk beds and they endure the heat to, to bring a word of hope to families they've never met before. So there is something within us that at least within some of us that is inspiring and, and we see the going. But who here doesn't like to come back to your own bed in your own house after that time? And so the early church is much the same, and especially when you get to the places that Jesus talked about. Let's be honest. If we had Jesus saying, the Holy Spirit is going to come and you're going to be my witnesses, telling people about me in the British Virgin Islands, and Hawaii, and Colorado in the summertime. How many of us would have been like, woo, we remember that, and we are signing up. Put me down on that list. I will, ta- I will suffer for Jesus in any of those places, right? <laughs> I will do it. But the list is not that way, okay? The list is a hard list, and the places that Jesus talked about are uncomfortable, And so let's look at where Jesus was asking his followers and us to go. First of all, where did he tell them to start? He told them to start in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is the heart of the nation. It's the heart of the Jewish faith. But it was not home for the 12 disciples. They were from Galilee. They were from the north. All the people in Jerusalem thought that they had a hick accent, they really did. They, they spoke like hillbillies from the north, and so they didn't fit in. This was not comfortable. The religious authorities are after them, but when the Holy Spirit comes, they have the power to live into this new reality and to be witnesses in Jerusalem, and they have very effectively made this place their home. They've found the places to preach. People are coming to them to be healed. And I can imagine, because this is the way it's always been in our story of faith, that they thought, well, this is good. 
because we're at the heart of the nation and we're at the heart of the faith. And so if anybody's going to come, they're going to come to Jerusalem and we will be here waiting. But that's not what Jesus said, is it? Start here and move out. And the next ring is Judea. Judea is their whole country. It's their whole nation. And as we've talked about in this series, there are places in their nation that are very comfortable, like the northern part of Galilee, and then even you just go to the other side of the lake, and they don't really know about them over there. There's places in Judea that they've never been, that they don't have family, they don't have friends. One person in, in the middle service said, and there was no trip advisor. So imagine, you didn't know what you were getting into. So Judea, ugh, it's hard and they haven't done it. And then Jesus said, Samaria. <laughs> and forget it. Forget it. Samaritans? Ugh. They're just, they're the worst. And so as soon as Jesus said Samaria, they didn't even hear the ends of the earth. Samaria was enough that you just say, no, that's ridiculous. I'm not going there. Because there was a long history. Many of you know about this. Some of you have picked up in the Bible that they don't like, Jewish people don't like Samaritans. And this comes from not just a few decades of tension and strife. This is centuries and even a millennia of hatred. It started with a civil war. So way back when the nation was first getting formed, and it was all Israel, it's kind of long, the nation of Israel. And there were 12 tribes, descendants of Abraham, and each tribe had a different piece of the land. Well, at a point in time, after David was king, a couple of kings later, the northern tribes, there were 10 of them, said, we have had enough of this king. We don't think that that's who God wants. And they rebelled. And there was a civil war, lots of fighting, and eventually the north broke away. And they became their own nation. And they kept the name Israel. They kept the name Israel. And the south kept the name Judah or Judea. Their capital in the south remained Jerusalem. And the capital in the north became Samaria capital of the renegades. Well, these 10 tribes in the north, they very quickly spiral into moral decay. They abandon God. They abandon worship. They, they bring in idols. They, it, it's terrible, the history in the north. There are very few good kings when you read the history in the north. And God sends them prophets. God's calling them back. These are God's people, even though they've rebelled. God calls them back. They will not listen. They They won't listen until finally the day of disaster comes in 722 B.C., the nation of Assyria that was just dominant and horrific. You can still see, when I was on sabbatical, I saw things in the British Museum from Assyria because they were world powers. And when they conquered you, which they conquered the northern kingdom after a siege and horrific famine and destruction, they carried off all the goods, but they were not content to just defeat you militarily, they wanted to destroy you, wipe you from the face of the earth. And so almost everyone 
in the northern kingdom of Israel, those ten tribes, anybody with any learning, any skills, uh, any trade that they had, any power, all the mayors, everybody who's been in leadership, they either kill them or they strip them naked and shave off half their beards and chain them to each other and take them away from their home forever. And if they let you live, then they would send you, but not your family. They would break up families. They would send dozen over here and a dozen over there and a dozen over here into these foreign countries. So if you have ever heard somebody talk about the lost tribes of Israel, they're talking about the ten tribes in the north. And they're talking about how Assyria destroyed them. They're gone. And what Assyria did was now they've got this open country and they just have a few remaining people And they bring in people from their conquered nations, a dozen here, a dozen there, until what has happened in the northern part of Israel is they have just become like everything else, only this really crazy mix. This God and that God and that other God. And so when the people in Judah, the southern kingdom, the two tribes that are left of God's people, when they try to rebuild the temple, Nehemiah and Ezra, who's opposing them? The Samaritans bring their army. They don't want God's temple rebuilt. When we come to the days of Jesus, still you'll hear people saying, scholars saying, in that time, if you were a Jewish person and you had to get to Jerusalem, and this, the most direct route is right through Samaria, many of you have heard that faithful Jewish people would still go the long way around and add two days to their journey just because they were not going through Samaria. It's polluted You know, the people are awful. You never know what's going to happen to you. We hate them. So we're going to go around. Now, Jesus didn't do that, did he? We have stories of Jesus interacting scandalously with Samaritans. Healing people, speaking to women. It, It scandalized the Jewish people of the day because they didn't approve of that. And we have this one story that Luke gives us, and he's also writing the book of Acts, where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and there's a town of Samaritans that just gets a little cheeky. They don't want him. And as soon as that happens, the disciples jump in, and they say, Jesus, let us call down fire from heaven and burn them all to the ground, right? And all of them are, yeah, because they got it coming. And Jesus says, no, it's not going to be like that. But nothing about their, the disciples' hearts towards Samaritans changes. So we get to the beginning of the book of Acts, and Jesus says, hey, you're going to be my witnesses in all of these places. And the disciples hear Samaria, and no. They hate those people. Those people are utterly different, sinful, Let them rot. There's no way they're sharing their Messiah with the Samaritans. Mm -mm. So nobody goes to Samaria and nobody goes to Judea. Nobody goes anywhere. Until chapter 8, when this wave of persecution crashes into the believers 
sweeps over them, Luke says. And they're sputtering and they're gasping and Stephen has been killed and it's like the floodgates are open and if you are a believer in Jesus, you're going to die. You and your children. And so that, that very night, in the middle of the night, people are packing their bags and they're waking their children and with tears they're saying, we've got to leave right now. And they scatter. They scatter. One of the places that they go, and I see some strategy in this, actually, is Samaria. Because if the Jewish religious leaders are looking for you, where are they not going to go? Yeah, yuck! Good hiding spot. It wasn't the going there that changed the believers, I don't think. It was needing to live there that did. Because suddenly, if you're living with your enemies and with people you think are unclean and sinners and outside of God's will, but every day you're living next to them, suddenly you're seeing them. You're seeing them. And you're realizing, well, they love their kids. They worry about their jobs. They're fixing their homes. And... Maybe they're even being kind to me, even though I'm a refugee. And one of the believers there, an interesting mark about the believers is whether they were preachers or not, everywhere they went, they took their faith with them. And they were talking. And it turns out that one of the believers who's in Samaria starts to tell the Samaritans about Jesus. His name's Philip. And this is what Luke says about this. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. People listened. Crowds of people listened. Samaritan crowds of people listened. Miraculous signs. People were healed. Samaritan people were healed. People wanted to know about the message. They wanted faith in Christ. Samaritan people wanted to follow Jesus Christ. And Philip is able to reach over all those walls and barriers that have come now crumbling down, and he does this, and they begin for him, for this one believer, to crash down. He sees the kingdom of God as bigger than his preferences or his prejudices. And it says, so there was great joy in that city. So the city is joyful. Well, then along come Peter and John. Okay, they're in Jerusalem. They've held out. And they hear what's going on in Samaria and the transformation. And if you hear that and you hate Samaritans, like we know John did, then what's the thing you want to go see? You need to go see if this is on the up and up or if Philip has gone renegade and, it, and this needs to be quashed. So John, fire, fire from heaven John, and Peter go to Samaria, to the capital city. And what they're looking for, because they want to know, they are godly people and they want to know what does God think of this? So they want to see, will God give Samaritans the gift of the Holy Spirit? 
And John goes to lay his hands on the Samaritans. And that's a big step for him. And then the Holy Spirit comes and fills them, all of them, clearly, visibly. And suddenly the family of God is this much bigger, and now it's not just the Jews, it's the Samaritans. And he realizes, John, in this moment, that God loves these Samaritans. Now I see a couple of lessons for us today. The first is, in every generation, Jesus is calling us to our own Jerusalem and our own Judea and our own Samaria. And Jesus knows that all of us have a Samaria, a group of people who, because of their actions or their behaviors, we just think, well, we just don't like them. We, we can't. And sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we can't believe that God likes them either. I don't know who that is for you. But one of the things that we confront as imperfect people is that that exists in our lives. It just does. And so I thought I'd share with you a story from my own experience. In every church that I have served, and I've served three, every single church, before I came, as soon as my name was announced, there were people who walked out the door. I never got to meet them. I never got to shake their hand or give them a hug. They never heard me preach a sermon because I'm a woman. I'm a woman. And for them, that is outside of what God would love or allow. Now, one of the things I love about our church is that so many here, even if you'd never seen a woman lead before, and many of you hadn't, we have a church where half of the people here made a profession of faith in Jesus. And so their, your first experience, if it wasn't with me, was with David. You'd only ever seen a man as a leader. He was the pastor before me. But so many of you stayed here, even if I was a Samaritan to you. And you gave it a chance to see, is the Holy Spirit moving through this Samaritan? And I can't even tell you how many. It wasn't a ton, but so many people, and I tell them even to this day, they're some of my favorites, would come up to me maybe three months in and, and sheepishly say, I really didn't know about this. I really didn't know about this at all. And I didn't know if women could be pastors, but I'm really glad I stayed, and I'm really glad you're a pastor. And even today, some people came up and reminded me, they're like, I was one of those people. They, they can't, I said, I'd forgotten you were one of those people. Uh, but that's my favorite people, you guys. Because that's the call of Christ. To push beyond what we're comfortable with 
and what we've always seen and what we think is maybe sinful and maybe not part of God's plan and see if the Holy Spirit is within someone who challenges us. To visit Samaria, not just to judge, but to reach out a hand there. And I'm so proud of you guys when you come and talk to me and say, I'm struggling. I'm struggling to love those people who are part of a different religion, or I'm struggling because I was raised this way and about race, but I don't want it to be like that anymore. Or about sexuality, it's hard for me, help me think through this, or whatever it is, politics, you guys, this has been a hard couple of years to really love people on the other side politically. And so whenever you come and talk to me or one of the other pastors and say, I feel this way, but I know there's a call beyond it. You're answering the call to Samaria. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So that's the first thing that I see is we have to not be afraid of seeing those parts of ourselves that have to be transformed and facing them. The second thing I see is that when we reach our Samaria, and there's great joy in that city, and, and the family of God grows, it's not just that they are happy, right? It's not just they who now feel welcome and who are, who are at home. It's me, it's you, it's all of us who are transformed. We are stronger and we are better and we are more like Jesus when we get to Samaria with love. And this is how I know because of how John is on his way back from Samaria. Listen to this. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, the capital, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem and... They stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. John wasn't the same. He was more like Jesus when he came back. And when we hear and follow that call to Samaria, we'll find not only is Samaria rejoicing, but our hearts are changed. Our faith is stronger, and our church is stronger, and the world is stronger. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know that in every age, every generation, we are more comfortable staying where we are. And yet the last thing you told your followers that you don't want us to forget is that you call us out of our comfort zones. And not just to people we probably get along with, but to those that we do not. To those very different from us. And so help us, Lord, to be boundary crossers. To be the agents through which the walls that separate us from other people come down and those we thought might be our enemies, hear good news about you. Help us to be those people. Help us to know when it is we need to push past something we'd rather, we'd rather not. 
and show us, just as you did your first followers, show us through the movement of your spirit, through opening our eyes, how deep and wide your love is for every person in this world. We ask this in your saving name. Amen.